Welcome back to the Two Track Mind podcast feed. Uh, I'm Liam Toms and with me as always is... Edward Crawley. Who is going to uh, now tell you about today's show. So we've um, we've got a bit of a different show lined up uh, today, uh, mainly because it's not our own. Um, that's not to say we're not recording it. I don't want you getting confused, but no, we have stolen or borrowed the format of another podcast. And I should with, out, with, permission. with permission. With permission. I was about to say this. We we um we decided to message the host and he kindly gave his blessing. Um, but I'll go into a bit more detail. So the podcast in question is called Off the Beaten Track. Um, and it's hosted by a chap called Stu Whiffin who is part of the Distraction Pieces Network, which is ran by Scroobius Pip. Um, he presents a couple of podcasts, but this particular one, um, Stu invites a guest on to discuss seven songs that have helped soundtrack their life. Um, and the seven songs are associated with seven questions that Stu has asked them uh, before coming on, and they obviously work out their answers, and then they come on. And, you know, they just have a, a general conversation about the, the seven songs that they've picked. Um, what's like a constant in each episode is the seven questions. So every guest gets asked the same seven questions. Um, but obviously each guest is totally different and individual and they've trodden a different path. And they're, they're typically from the arts, music, a DJ, promoter there's someone associated with or around music typically so but you know what's amazing is i don't think i've had any crossovers of songs as of yet um but a bit of background on stew because um you know i I, before listening to the podcast i didn't really know of uh stuart within and i was sort of like he's a really good host quite charismatic, very friendly, very open. But he, uh, you know, doing a bit of digging and what you find out through the podcast, he's a DJ, concert promoter. He's been in a band himself. He's really, like, been around, in and around music for, I guess, 25-odd years from what I'm gathering from, or longer, maybe, from what he spoke to about guests. Um, and, I, yeah, when I we decided to message him because... I think you and I have both listened to the the podcast and we've both got our favourite shows that he's done with different guests. And you and I have discussed sort of what we might pick and we just made the, uh, just came to the conclusion, well, why don't we just ask each other those same seven questions, but without just stealing them, you know, we'd ask Stu first if that was okay. And he messaged back the same day, which totally cemented everything I already thought I knew about him as being just a nice bloke. Um, and he said, yeah, go ahead. I'd like, yeah, sounds like a great episode. So he's, he said we could use them. So we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to ask you these seven questions first and see what your answers are. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Have you got, well, just quickly, I guess, um, to the, cause I do want to promote the show because off the beaten track it's on a cars, which is what we typically use, but it's on all podcast. Uh, podcast platforms you know some of the guests have included sort of um james buckley from the inbetweeners um rowena alice um sam duckworth from get cape where cape fly kate thornton from uh well she's a dj now is she kate thornton 
Yeah, presented, what was it, Pop Idol? Back That's in the day? it, yeah, back in the day. Um, Frank Carter from Gallows and Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, Dan P. Carter from Radio 1, LaRue more recently, Preston from The Ordinary Boys, and then obviously some of my favourite episodes, Dom Jolly from Trigger Happy TV fame back in the day, who, who's done multiple things since. And um, the Perry brothers from A, both of them have been on the, the show. And those two episodes were incredible. The Russia <laughs> so, story. The, the Russia story. So I'd suggest anyone um, goes and listen to them. And the last one I listened to, because I'm a, I'm a couple behind, was um, Adam Devonshire from Idols, that punk rock band. Yeah. Um, and that was a wicked episode because uh, partly because I was I was really pleasantly surprised by his choice of songs. Actually, they were quite similar to my taste in music, and you don't always expect that from someone who's in sort of like a punk rock band. Um, but yeah, that was a really great episode. So I, I really, other than stealing the songs because we like the songs that Stuart's come up with, we re- we both really like the podcast as well. So off the beaten track podcast, you should you should go and check it out because I think there's like nearly 150 episodes so there'll be someone or something for you to to listen to and it's it's cool the questions are really cool and Stu normally is has a really good conversation with the with the guests so and he's got a uh, grant from feeder coming up i know i can't we i saw that, that was on his instagram wasn't it i can't wait for that episode because we're both big feeder fans so hopefully fingers crossed grant picks some decent songs so I'll start uh, with this one. <laughs> song question one: a song with the greatest intro. Okay, um, it's funny thinking about the answers to each of these that I, I realised a lot of things about music that I perhaps hadn't appreciated before. Intros, I think, are so important to me. If I'm skipping through music, like if I've got it on shuffle or whatever a lot of what determines whether I'm going to stick with it is that initial couple of seconds of a track. Yeah. And there, and there could be songs by artists that, are, you know, they're, they're like my favorite all time favorite bands. But if the intro doesn't catch me, I, I don't stick with it. It'd be gone. Yeah. So the sort of intro that I like also I've realized is the kind of intro that just gets straight into the song. And I cannot stand really long drawn out intros. Oh and if, God! <laughs> You're gonna fucking hate mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> albeit, albeit, there's two. The one I've started with for mine, there's two versions. But um, don't don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I don't mind a long intro. So, really, I guess you could you could question what what's meant by an intro. Now, I I don't mind a song that takes a while to get to the vocals, as long as there's something in that first bit. So. I yeah. think for a lot of these, I was thinking, well, which of the answers to these is going to be Africa by Toto? Because I think that's the one <laughs> song that everyone associates with me. Now, obviously, that is quite a long intro, but very quickly you get to the main hook, right? And you've got that there then before you even get to the vocals. How do you think that so- makes as an intro compared to Rosanna, though? Because I'd argue Rosanna had the stronger intro. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, but similar in a way. Similar in a way, you get drums and, and then it comes in. With yeah, like you the, get the, yeah, yeah, the main uh, the main hook. But um, it's just a sort of intro where nothing really happens and it just takes way too long to build. Yeah, and just as like a measure, I don't think that um, the really long, like you know, 
the um the Death Cab for Cutie song. I will uh, possess your heart. Uh, I will yeah. possess your heart. Burnham, yeah, all the, the bait. The one that yeah. they opened with at Brixton. Yeah, now that's a really long intro, but it starts straight away with that main hook that yeah, just repeats. Yeah. And so that to me, that's not necessarily an intro. That's just part of the song. It just takes a long time to get to the vocal. Okay, yeah. Um, but generally speaking, I think I like shorter intros that are just, just coming very quickly. And, and I, I, I think generally I, I do prefer a vocal quite soon off the bat. When we think, were writing songs, th- when we were writing songs, I think we got a bit better when you joined. But before Thanks. then, our songwriting team that we had we were notoriously bad at getting to the start of the song. Um, and I think it's, I think it was really, you know, sort of to the detriment of the music that we were writing. Um, do you, um, and, and, just, and still thinking back, sorry, Karen. No, do you, do you think that's got anything to do with the way we listen to music, the whole intro thing and how it's changed? Cause obviously Spotify, like you say, if the initial two seconds, I'm the same as you, like I've got the whole skip button on my steering wheel in the van and uh, I can skip a track and boom, onto the next one. So like you say, that intro really does need to grab you. But obviously if it's 10 seconds or 20 seconds long, and like you say, it, there's, it doesn't feel like it's going to go anywhere, um, it, you know, you skip it. Whereas if you put a vinyl on, if you put a record on, you're not easily going to be able to skip that track. So you, you're more forgiving for a longer intro. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, because you'd you'd play um, out a record, wouldn't you? You wouldn't go and pick track one and track three of a vinyl record, would you? Because it's just too difficult. There's no point. Um, whereas with Spotify, right. you can boom, gone. It's, it's out the window straight away. Yeah, it facilitates it, doesn't it? It facilitates the ability to yeah, good to have that option. But um, even when I had like a big library of music on iTunes, like I'd I'd go through and there'd be some songs that I would just delete from the library because I just didn't didn't want them because it just took too long to get like there there might even be bits in the song that like maybe I like the chorus or I like the uh, the mid late or something in a, in a song but if it if it's going if I've got a wait if I've got to, like wade through like 2 minutes till I get to the bit that I like nah <laughs> I'd just leave yeah, it yeah so if I was to give you if I was to say look you can either have uh, a solo or a drum solo, or a middle eight, for instance, or a decent intro. What would you go for? And the decent intro is a longer intro. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've just got to like the intro. Yeah. See, I would take a longer intro over like a guitar solo most days. I, sometimes I really find guitar solos like a bit awkward and a bit showy offy. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it really is something that's been a big part of our decision making so, in terms of music no, no, taste. No. so well let so let's hear it have you got um any that you could have chose but you didn't before you yeah. see which one you did choose so i was trying to think of songs that just cut to the chase quickly and this is one of my all-time favorite songs which is attractive today by motion city soundtrack yeah the opening track of the uh commit this to memory album i didn't go with this and you'll you'll find out why in a bit um but there's, there, it's basically a cold open. There's not really an intro. You get a couple of uh, a couple of notes, and then straight into the vocal, and and that and then that leads you in. 
but it's snappy. It's snappy, isn't it? So I can see why you'd like that. It's it's yeah. it's quick. It's and just quickly, we should possibly point out. You've already said that I'll know most know the the list of tracks you've chosen, but we decided to keep this blind, didn't we? The tracks you've chosen, yeah. whereas actually Stu in the podcast gets sent the list of songs so he can do his research. So anything I'm saying about the track is literally off the cuff because I'm I'm hoping I know the track. Um, obviously, I know that song, love that song. Um, yeah, it's a great little it's a great little intro because again, like you were saying. Intros don't have to be a minute long. They can be four bars of guitar, bang, straight into yeah. it. Yeah, but I like it. I like it as the first track on an album. It's, it sort of starts the story of what continues through. But it's not the one that I went with. It's not the one that I chose for this. Okay. Uh, I actually went for uh, last one out of Liberty City by Less Than Jake. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, if you, you've not picked that one, have you? No, I haven't picked that one. But uh, okay. I had you, I had you pegged for a less than Jake song, not because I right. knew, but they've got. Uh, so, there's a whole list you could have had. Yeah. Now, obviously, this one starts with a soundbite. I'm bite. playing it in my head now. Yeah. Starts with a soundbite, which is is quite an abrasive noise because it's the kind of um, whoop sound, and then you get the. Uh, well, that's one out of Liberty City, put it to the ground. And then the bass. Yeah, it's quality. Yeah, which works great on the record and works great when you see it live. Because uh, obviously they have the sound bite, don't they, before they play yeah. it live. Um, but something I noticed is that uh, Magnetic North, which is obviously a track we like uh, that opens their follow-up album, Borders and Boundaries, actually starts, it doesn't have a sound uh, bite at the beginning, but it starts in exactly the same way. starts with just the bass. And then builds up, then you get guitar and drums, and then the horns come in. And I hadn't realized until today that it follows the exact same pattern on those two tracks, but they almost couldn't be more different. Because yeah. Last Night at Liberty City is a very fast punk rock song, whereas Magnetic North is a bit more mid tempo, more in fitting with the rest of that album. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I just it's the energy that you get on Last One Out of Liberty City. And interestingly, and I remember this from the time I had to research this today to 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 actually find this out. So there was a track on uh one of the Sonic games. It just it's just coincidence that I'm wearing a Sonic t-shirt that wasn't intentional. <laughs> uh that was on the Dreamcast around I guess the early 2000s that was called Escape from the City. And it starts exactly the same. Yeah. It doesn't have the sound bite, but it starts exactly the same. And again, I hadn't appreciated until today that the titles of the song are so similar as well. And I do wonder whether at that point in time, whether you had uh, sort of session musicians that were writing this sort of music for video games that was trying to sound contemporary, whether it was entirely uh, copied. <laughs> because it's, it's yeah. uncanny how, how similar it is. But yeah, no, um, great choice. I love that track. Um, and I, you know, I had, I think with Less Than Jake, I think you could have chosen Less Than Jake for a few of these. Um, yeah. And possibly even the next one. Question two. First song you remember having that had an emotional impact on you? Can you see my notes? <laughs> no, I can't. Because, uh... I, I, no, it was just a lovely segue. I can't see bugger all. Um, 
just so people listening appreciate this, we're actually recording uh, across the internet still, but we have FaceTime going so we can actually see each other for a change. And I, I, um, I'd like it known I've, I've missed your face the last three episodes. <laughs> it's nice. To, I don't know why it's taken us so long to go, oh, we could FaceTime as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the top of my notes for the, for the emotional impact one. Um, for a long time, I'd have said to you that it was uh, last hour of the last day of work. Oh, wow. uh, which is from Borders and Boundaries. Uh, obviously, by lesson, Jake mentioned it just a moment ago. Um, and I sort of jokingly said for a long time that this would be my funeral song. Uh, and I stand by that. Um, oh, I, I would I would still like <laughs> this song to be played. I can arrange that for you, mate. But there's lots of other songs as well. So it was difficult trying to think, like, in terms of emotional impact. I don't, the, yeah, this I've, was a tricky I've, one for me. I've listened to, you know, a handful of, uh, of the off-the-beaten-track the, off show but I'm not entirely sure to what extent the emotional impact, uh, what, what it means. You know? I think it's open to interpretation. It could be the first time you got really excited about a song, the first song you got down about a song. Um, I've really struggled with this. And I have, for my choice, I have sided on the sadder, not sad as in the... Yeah, the, see, that's, that, my, that's where my, I went. Yeah, that's where right. I went with it eventually. Um, and to to switch it around, so on the last one, obviously, I was I was toying between Less Than Jake and, and Motion City Soundtrack. I went Less Than Jake. For this one, I went Motion City Soundtrack. Okay. Now, obviously, this came out a few years into um, me really being into music, uh, but it's uh, Hold Me Down, which is actually the final track from Commit This to Memory. Yeah. Now, I think I've probably been emotionally impacted by songs before, but I don't think to the extent that this song did and and still does. Like I still find it quite a uh quite a moving listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh for those that aren't familiar, it's uh it's essentially a letter that's been written to the person who's who's singing the song. Uh and they found the letter um that uh that that, that basically says that someone's left them. Yeah. Uh now that's obviously quite sad in its own right, but musically it's very sad as well. And it all sort of builds through uh, to the end of the song, and uh, and rather than just end, it it kind of plays out for for longer than the, obviously the track yeah, runs. Yeah. Uh, and you get like a distorted guitar just ringing out and notes, and then it goes into like a like a music box, you know, like with a little dancing ballerina. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's got this very like. Oh, I don't know, just very sad sounding like uh, noise just like playing around of this just, I, I'm, I'm not going to sing it because I don't even know if I can do the pitch of the, the noise that it makes. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's tear jerking. It, it yeah, really yeah. And, and the song itself isn't, it's not, um, it's not like a, a candle in the wind by Elton John. There, there's guitars in it, it there's, um, would you call it a crescendo? It, it does build up in, uh, throughout the song, doesn't it? You know, the, the you hold me down and it gets louder in, in parts and then it, yeah. it goes really quiet suddenly again for the, it's, um, it's, it's not like a typical sort of mellow, slow song. There's definitely, I don't I've not volume levels cause that would be too easy. Um, that's not quite lot, as descriptive enough. Do you mean like there's a lot of dynamic? Yeah, it. dynamic is yeah. the word I'm looking for. It's, it's, but yeah, definitely the lyrics. But the way he, the way that um, Justin 
um, sings anyway. He's got there's something get this. I don't know. It seems like he's putting everything into his vocals, um, and especially in that song. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a great song, but I can see how that would that would be emotional. Yeah. Well, and it's I, a band I that think, means a lot to you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it. Without getting too soppy, uh, I think the time that it really hit was when I was going through a breakup as well. And oh, wow. uh, but it wasn't like a. Uh, it wasn't a bad breakup. It was quite a um, uh, a mutual decision. And um, I can just remember listening to it, like on pretty much one of the last times that we spent together. And, and just listening to it and, and almost like knowing that it was coming to an end and just obviously it being the last track on the album, it just sort of like, it was quite fitting at the time. <laughs> that, that's, uh, I think that's about as, um, as personal as I want to get on that. Well, obviously we're going to, we're going to do a playlist, um, for your selected track. So people will be able to hear it, but yeah, like Liam said, play it out, um, and wait until the end of the song. Um, but yeah, great, great choice. Um, it, just to just to bring the mood back a little bit, uh, just a bit more trivial, uh, more of a trivial fact. Um, there's a person in it uh, that's referenced in the song called Coraline, uh, and I named my second car after Coraline. <laughs> so the three cars that I've had have been named after um, characters from Motion City soundtrack songs. The first one was Betty from uh, Future Freaks Me Out. The second one was Coraline from the song, and the third one was Antonia from the song Antonia. And I can confirm that over FaceTime, he looks really proud of himself there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't oh, know what that... the fourth one's going to be. And, and touch wood, I don't have to um, to to pick a fourth one anytime soon. Well, yeah, because uh, have they had any more females in in recent albums? Uh, I'd, I'd have to root through. Any names out. lined up? No, I, I I don't have one yet. So that leads us sort of nicely into a song that reminds you of school. <laughs> I mean, there's no shortage of songs that I could pick for this one. Yeah. Um, and I had to, I, I sort of reverse engineered this. So rather than thinking like, uh, okay, what songs does school remind me of? I tried to think, what song do I hear? And I instantly think of being at school. Okay. Um, I, I think that's perhaps a more accurate and, and a bit more genuine way to do it. So. Yeah. We talked about this band, and I can't remember if we talked about this song uh, on a recent episode of the show, um, but it's uh, Clint Eastwood by Gorillaz. Oh, <laughs> specifically, right. Specifically, the uh, the Ed Case remix version, or refix, yeah. I think they called it, uh, yeah. which was really weird at the time, wasn't it? Because like you had this... Um, this like uh, very dark, uh, droning sort of like hip-hop track uh, that was the original... And then this kind of like British kind of garage remix that like everybody was more familiar with. Yeah. And that was the one that we knew. And I mean, that would be the one that I'd sort of refer to. Um, and I was trying to get to the root of like, why is it that that reminds me of school so much? And there's a, I think it just generally like the, that sort of, that sort of early 2000 sound of like British garage um, and sort of drum and bass. It was, it was very big at that time. So I thought of, I think maybe that sort of reminds me of that era of time. Um, but specifically, so you didn't have this teacher, uh, but I I did, and she was this. Uh, she was brought in sort of like midway through the term. Oh, uh, right. She was she was a Spanish lady called uh, Mrs. Steenley Weitron. 
right? Oh, I've heard, oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Too many stories about her. <laughs> so, 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 this wasn't her favourite song. Just to uh, just to cut to the chase on that. Um, so she used to have a thing. <laughs> to... Steely Wheatron. So she couldn't speak very good French. She was actually a Spanish teacher, and I think they were just short, so they they basically tasked her with teaching French as well. Um, Did so they? the lessons the lessons were very weird. Lessons were very weird, anyway. Uh, and she just used to bribe us with a lot of like um, a lot of sweets that she that she had. Um, and there was like oh, a so hold week... hold on hold on let's explore that a second. Wait, what do you mean <laughs> bribe you with sweets? <laughs> what so, so basically. Yeah, kind of, and like any anything that we did right, so that like any question that was answered right or said correctly, like it's the French translation or whatever that we were learning, uh, we would get like a, a sweet. Um, but also, she extended it. So, like how the, old the, were you? This was year eight. Year eight, so it'd have been like what twelve, thirteen. Uh, but then there was a whole thing about like the best person in class at the end of the week would get a CD single. <laughs> oh, oh god. <laughs> honest to god honest to god um so so you'd have to put your request in for whatever it was uh and then she'd go and get it and for some reason i just remember um our friend uh cheney bryant who was yeah. in my class uh she was probably the best at french in the class and on multiple weeks she won the cd single uh but i just remember her getting this song <laughs> and did I you think did they did they play it or did you have to applaud her or <laughs> I don't think we played it there and then, but I was just trying to think of okay, what are the connections between this and school, uh, and that's definitely in there. So, oh, quality! <laughs> I love it's that bit... because, um, yes, I think, I think was it Jason Perry who picked Baggy Trousers by Madness, possibly. Yeah, I think um, so. but I think I think <laughs> I think I prefer your story about some. <laughs> sort of bodged French teacher who's Spanish giving out CDs for good behaviour <laughs> you know and it just that's what stuck with you through the whole of our school years well it's funny as well because like this was I guess probably the tail end of the CD single as well like you know Napster was a thing by this point people were downloading music so it wasn't it wasn't a huge deal to get the CD single, but for some reason that's what she chose was the uh, appropriate prize to give. Um, and yeah, I, I never won it. Is it? Is that pre Kazar? Is that pre? Uh, it was around that time. Illegal yeah, yeah, downloads yeah. or after? Uh, yeah, it was around that time. So that Napster and all that sort of thing. So, so if I'd wanted this song, I could have got it anyway. I didn't have to be good at French to get um, Wait, <laughs> the gorillas. All, I, all, I, all I'll say is, I know I'm not saying so mine but one of the songs i could have chosen is uh is based on the illegal download things and it being one of the first ones i downloaded um because of um napster and stuff like that so it's funny you mentioned that because that sort of i remember trying to load it up in it class it obviously yeah, not yeah. working. Do you, remember, um, do you remember Audio Galaxy as well? Oh, I loved one. Audio Galaxy. Is that, that the one really I download? I tried to download you the whole of the Jet album on. Oh, God, and it was just like a sample of it repeating over yeah. and over. Hey, yeah, hey, roll over, DJ. Hey, <laughs> just constantly on repeat. And because I heard the album, obviously, I thought that was the song. <laughs> But no, I like that. That's good. That's good. I, uh, I had a couple of runners up as well. Yeah, yeah. Can, I hear, can we hear a couple? Uh, Limp Biscuit, Rolling. Yeah. 
uh, and Linkin Park in the end. So, so yes. I kind of went for the uh, I went for like the the early years of of secondary school rather than later years. Uh, Honestly, think- our it was very similar choices, but our um, our actual picks couldn't be further apart. <laughs> oh, I look forward to hearing yours. All right, so first record you ever bought. Now we've we've discussed this before, but um, just in case people are jumping on because you know we've hashtagged off the beaten track. Um, let's so yeah, first record you you, you bought. Not that you yeah. bought, that was bought for you, that you remember. Now, I know that it's probably a while ago, sort of maybe early 2000s or even late 90s. So just, you know, if it's there or thereabouts, I'll accept it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm disappointed you said that because I actually put a lot of work into trying to figure out truthfully what the first record was. Okay. Because um, when we answered this question recently, I... I said, oh, it was Hanson, middle of nowhere. And yes, I, it was. And I, and I said that with no shame because I've enjoyed the the music they've made in the last 10 years or so. Um, but I actually went back and looked at some of the dates because I thought before I had the album, I probably had the singles. So I looked at when the singles came out and then I was trying to like, I was kind of plotting a timeline. I was thinking, well, before I had that, I definitely had the Spice Girls album. So then that became like my sort of earliest one I could think of and I tried to go earlier uh, and I think anything that came before that I probably would have just been bought it whereas I think the Spice Girls album I did actually buy with some money that I was given what, uh, the, white, so, the white cover with Spice in big yeah so the first album was called Spice I think the second was Spice World they weren't very inventive yeah. with the names were they um, so I actually think tr- truthfully the first record that I bought was the uh, the debut Spice Girls album um, huge yeah, I mean, huge, huge album. There was no band bigger at the time. That must have gone on to, um, well, that was what. So that was possibly like that. That was ninety six. Oh, yeah, ninety six. Fucking hell! Yeah, that's early, uh, man. <laughs> I mean, I was really into music. I was. I'm trying to think like what would have come before that that i mean i think that was probably around the same time i was getting into like the now compilations but i think before that it would have been like the smurfs do you remember the smurfs used to do like uh yeah, like parody yeah. albums yeah <laughs> i think before spice girls that's probably what i was into but in truth i wasn't really into spice girls from uh from the get-go like it took me a while and i think at first i i sort what of like rebe- i rebelled against it a little bit and i was like oh no i don't like that but i've always done that and i probably still do it today like for whatever reason, I can't get on board of something when there's a load of initial hype around it. Yeah, there's once, a lot. Once there's, the hype, that's easy to do, isn't it? Once the hype kind of calms down, I come around to it, and then it might end up being my most favorite TV show, film, or whatever of all time. Uh, I wouldn't say that Spice Girls album's my favorite, um, but yeah, I was probably a little bit later out of the gate on that one. Uh, wow. Well, yeah, and then I was really into it for a bit. Well, you are one of uh, you are one Billions? of 23 million copies wow. sold, uh, becoming the best-selling album in music history by a girl group. Uh, it, Quite proud of that. It was number one in 17 countries, certified multi-platinum in 27 countries, 10 times platinum in just the UK. Wow. So if you, you know, it's not like you've liked some shit album. You've you've you're one of many many people. They you know, but let's let's be honest. Everyone remembers watching those videos. 
everyone remembers if you were male or female. If you were female, you you chose which Spice Girl you would be. If you were male, you chose which Spice Girl you wanted to date. You know, they were they were the biggest things <laughs> since fucking sliced bread. You know, they were hu- they were huge, weren't they? Yeah, like I, I've got like a distinct memory of uh, I was with. Um, some of my family for whatever reason one day uh, at their house and I remember my uncle and uh, another relative I can't remember who it was um, had been to the shop and they come back with Spice Girl crisps it was when they were on the packets of uh, Walkers yeah, and it was yeah, a big yeah. deal and everyone was going through this like multi-pack of crisps and like picking the bag they wanted based on which Spice Girl they liked <laughs> So so lame, really. But like, that's I'm, on, how, I'm that's honestly sure I did that with the Walker's Crips and, and the Pepsi cans when they were on the yeah. Pepsi. Yeah. Um, I swear they were on dairy milk at one point, possibly. And obviously, wow. and obviously, if people want to go through our back catalogue, uh, a bit awkward going and listening to a Christmas episode, but obviously I bought you a Spice yeah. Girls related Christmas present this year. You did. The two become one CD single. Two which, become one CD single. <laughs> which is mad because that item obviously was in production, was made around the same time as this copy of the album that I've got, which is really strange to think because I've no idea. I, I didn't. I, I have still got the Hanson albums. I haven't got this Spice Girls cassette. Uh, and it was on cassette. I didn't have a CD player. What was, the old, what was the old book look like? Uh, I feel Do you remember? like lots of lots of pics. Maybe the the arm got binned because of uh, you know couldn't contain yourself. Had to get rid of the material. Oh, God. <laughs> I feel like there were some quite saucy photos in there, uh, and obviously this would have been like uh, a, a time of awakening <laughs> in my life. So, so just to, just um, to go off the beaten track, if you <laughs> if you're sorry, um, who was your favourite Spice Girl? Uh, back then it was Jerry. Now it's back uh, then it would have been Jerry. Yeah, hundred percent. But now it's Mel C. And I think we answered this on another episode as well. I think on uh, and ask me anything. Pe- give people what they want to hear. They don't want to hear what song soundtrack your school years. They want to know who you fancied. Right? That's <laughs> that's why people are tuning in. I can't believe it's Mel C. Now though. What do you know? In a uh, in a. Do you want me to read out the set of lyrics again? No, 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 please don't. In a, in a Skype quiz recently that I did uh, with my family, there was a question uh, which Spice Girl presented on um, Turkish TV before being in the band. Uh, and I knew that it was Jerry because there was an autobiography that she released um, that came out, I guess, not long after she left. And it was uh, it was on the shelves of uh, Ottaker's Bookstore, if you remember that, which became Waterstones. Yeah. Um, and... You know, like how in books, like the center pages are quite often like some photos. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so there was a photo in this of her doing this, uh, this, this job that she had presenting on Turkish TV. Uh, now it wasn't that photo that I was interested in. It was the one on the opposite side that had uh, her with her boobs out. But because we used to go to Ottakers, because <laughs> we used to go to Ottakers and look at this book so often. <laughs> I could remember the thing about the Turkish TV show and it got me a point in the quiz. So, Well, talking of uh, girls with their boobs out, a song that soundtracked your time clubbing. Okay, I'm going to cut to the chase. It, it can't be anything other than Head Automatica uh, beating Hearts Baby. Now, so this is, this is the only one we will be 
well, I'll admit mine now. Mine is exactly the same for the next episode because, yeah, uh, let's hear your reasoning. Sorry. I think because it followed us, like it, it wasn't just like one club where we heard it. We we get it played in multiple places. So, yeah. If you'll if if you'll uh, if you'll entertain me, I'm going to um I'm going to <laughs> go Sing off on it? a massive tangent. I'm going to go off on a massive massive tangent now about uh Unit Twenty Two. Yes, our, our please, be- do. please do. Unit Twenty Two. So this is this is my ode to to Stu and the Pink Toothbrush. Unit Twenty Two wasn't even our version of that. It was Southampton's version, uh, yeah. and we just we discovered it by chance because we went down there after a show at the joiners and at the time the joiners actually owned unit 22 uh we went down there because there was like a late show at this club which was down on the docks um in southampton actually overlooking the the docks yeah and and the band that we went to see do you remember who it was well the first time yeah, and we didn't actually stay because we didn't realise that they weren't going to be playing until about midnight. And I guess by the time we got there, it was probably about half 10, 11. Uh, and we we headed home because we weren't staying in Southampton that night. It's somebody oh. that, okay, someone in the band that you are now quite uh, well acquainted with. Oh, Pickle Dick. Well, That's Mike right. TV then. Yeah, I think it was, it might have even, yeah, I can't remember if they changed to Mike TV then or not. But we stood and had a conversation with uh, with John Crossgrove. Yeah, yeah, um, that, it's yeah in that tiny and, little room um, in the tiny little venue room. Yeah, that backed and, onto the, uh, the, the main dance area. That's right. So he basically explained like what the venue was because we didn't know. We we had no idea really that it was a club, and he basically said, "Oh, we were not going to be on till gone midnight." Uh, so we didn't stay. But then we told our friend. Greg, who lived in Southampton for uni about it at the time, we said, oh, we, we found this like uh, this club that the joiners own down at the docks. Um, so then we started going there after gigs at joiners and stayed up in Southampton with Greg. Uh, and then eventually just ended up just going there. Like we didn't even yeah. go to join us beforehand. Uh, and it was so good because you had the room of the dance floor and then like a yeah as you say like another small little room where bands would play it was like a live show uh and the first band that we actually saw there was can you remember who it was howard's alias no that was later it was slunt oh it, what the, the the female fronted band yeah i'm the best yeah. thing you've ever had do you remember that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um very attractive front woman that was the uh, that was the first band that we saw play there, and and maybe some that were on before. But we like, weren't there for it. them. It's not we hadn't. No, gone no, we we went there. We I think we'd been to see either MC Lars or Sonic Boom Six at the Joiners, and then we headed down to Unit Twenty Two for the after show and the, uh, the and the club night. But the club night, obviously, in the other room. So you had this dance floor, right? So I had to go with Beating Hearts Baby, but the other song that. I will never hear this song and not be transported back to that place. Is uh, Billy Talent, Try Honesty. <laughs> that intro. You're literally fucking listing songs I've got listed on mine. <laughs> so that guitar, like that clean guitar intro, right, as that comes in, I hear it and I'm just there, just on that dance floor, looking out, vodka and coke in hand, looking out over the Solon and like, because obviously where it was the, like the docks, like all the... Uh, like the vehicles that are coming in off the off the docks, like all stacked up, like all these like new uh, vans and stuff, like all identical in these rows. And it was just such a bizarre place, really. 
But yeah, and like, can you remember what they had outside that we would quite often get after coming out? I know exactly what you mean. And it's the weirdest thing. And I've never seen one of these anywhere else. Never, ever. A vending machine, right? <laughs> like yeah. that does hot drinks. But this one did a portion of French fries. Yeah. How <laughs> fucking weird was that? It was like... And they weren't was quick, it, was were it they? Even... It wasn't, it wasn't no. like a minute for your chips. You had to wait like 10 minutes for this fucking vending machine to cook your chips. And they came out perfectly formed in like the, the punnet, the little pack of fries almost had individual little slots for each chip. It wasn't even a great portion of chips, but oh, I, but yeah, I think we yeah, got yeah. it every time because it was novel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, weird. I, do you know what? I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. God, the chips. Um I love that place. And I think what makes it so sort of uh, magical and, you know, I remember it so romantically is that it wasn't there for long. Eventually it went. Uh, yeah. And I don't think you would, I don't think you came to the the final night there, but they, they'd started to already break down the, the venue as it was. So they'd taken down the center like wall and the bar there. And it was just one great big room. Uh, and I can just remember like, just, it was just full of people from Southampton uh, like from the Southampton scene, so to speak. Yeah, um, we'd always see bands there from Southampton, wouldn't we, and stuff. And... Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Southampton's always had the slightly coolest music scene, hasn't it, of, of, of yeah. Bournemouth and Southampton. Um, and I just remember, like, there's just massive, like, circle pit going on to, like, rise against across the whole of the venue. Um, and, yeah, then that was it. It was kind of over. Uh, but we did used to get this song played at Sound Circus, which is our local equivalent of Unit 22, yeah. which I don't mind putting on record and I don't care who I offend, Sound Circus was, and still is, a shithole. Um, but it was our while, shithole, wasn't it? For a while, it was certainly our shithole. And we probably went there overall far more times than we went to Unit 22. Um, but, I was, well, yeah, but when I, well, for me, I suppose, when I was living in Wallerstown with... Um, uh, another chap called Stu, um, Lauriston. Um, we were there every Saturday, you know, so there was, there was a point where I was going regardless whether I had money or didn't have money. Um, cause we should point out that most of our trips to unit 22, we weren't drinking. One of us, well, me, I was driving, whether it was the Bolingo. I think most of the trips to unit 22 would yeah. have been the Bolingo parking literally outside the front door to the club in the, bloody Citroen Bolingo and then driving home at midnight and going to work the next day. That was, yeah, that was if you had to work and we couldn't stay at Greg's. So you could take the time off, wouldn't we? If we couldn't, then we, uh, we used to have to Madness, come home. Madness, really. <laughs> the, 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 the sheer dedication to that venue as a club. <laughs> I loved it. But, you know, I, I guess like that, so, I, so yeah, I mean, I'm sticking with Beaten Hearts Baby and perhaps we'll, uh, we'll talk about it when we come to your episode then a bit more but i just for me I, I feel like it was like an acceptable crossover like dance rock track and it just it suited the clubs didn't it really at the time but if you remember i'm trying to think like other similar songs at the time do you remember orson they had that hit yeah. no tomorrow which was a yeah. similar sort of like thing and they had like they were they were just a bit tacky weren't they like i mean obviously they were nowhere near oh proper as, tacky as but they had this whole like um, strap line that they were like uh, rock music that you can dance to sort of thing. And I think like at that time, there was a big push with like bands like Hadouken and all that sort of thing. There was, 
they were trying to get that perfect crossover between dance and rock. Uh, and I think actually Head Automatica just nailed it in about 2005, wasn't it, that that album came out? Yeah, um, such a good album. Well, and not, that was always that was always the floor filler as well, wasn't it? Like when they played that song, that it would go from like just some you know a slightly more obscure like pop punk or even whatever that they used to play in this club, and then when they played Beating Hearts Baby, that's when the dance floor used to flood. I think if you'd um, so I won't reference any of the potential songs that I could have had. Um, they're all based around the same venues though, so they're probably easily guessable. But I suppose you, to mention a couple of others that you could have had, you could have had from the Sound Circus years, you could have had Johnny Quest Sinks for Sellouts by Less Than Jake, because that always seemed to come on in Sound Circus, mainly because we were yeah. re- requesting it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a coincidence. I think at a similar time, Fallout Boy, Dance Dance, yeah, uh, came out. That was a floor filler. And then the obvious one for Sound Circus, Soil, Halo. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, that was, yeah. that was not, not one that I liked, but yeah. No, no, no. But it, for, that was, I've, I've had to give that a nod purely because I've just fucking heard it so many times. I won't say any of the other ones because otherwise I'll have nothing to talk about in that segment. Um but yeah, the, you know, Beating Hearts Bay. Well, it's a great tune anyway. It doesn't just soundtrack our, our time clubbing. It's a, We've been to see them live. It's a quality track. It's not like it was a, a reluctant choice because, yes, I heard that every time I went in the club. And um, what I will say about the Off the Beaten Track podcast, and it was, um, it was Matt Stock's episode, which I don't know what the confusion is really, and that's not to... Uh, to this Matt Stocks because he's got a, a cool podcast um, and he has a, a, some great guests on. Um, but people seem to think that clubbing is to do with club music, like dance music, like Sound Circus was a club. And uh, people seem to get confused when I never went clubbing, only I went, went to rock clubs. I was like, well, yeah. So what 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 yeah. rock tunes did you hear at that club? I don't, I don't personally yeah. for me, it was a, it's an, every time I've heard that question, I've never been confused by it. And I yeah, don't get the confusion. Interesting you say that. Cause I, I tried to think about it from that perspective as well. Cause I thought, am I going to go that way? But there okay. wasn't, there wasn't an obvious sort of dance track that I could have gone to because to be fair, I wasn't really into dance music at that point when we were like 18 I, yeah. I liked dance music when i was a bit younger and the, the age when we would start going to clubs like i wasn't really interested in going to those clubs like that came a little bit later again like maybe like as late as like 2009 2010 uh and then i got bored of it and then i kind of had a little bit of an interest in it again sort of around 2013 2014 but there wasn't like a song that i could have gone with that would have covered all those times um so yeah, so that's why I, I did go with the with the the rock club uh, one. Because yeah, but, that but, was... the, but they were the, they were the clubs we were frequenting. You know, <laughs> you know they were the they were the places we went. We typically went where there was there was alternative music. So and but they they're still clubs. You know, you're still on a dance floor dancing to them. But um, you know, I went to a an indie club in London once, and typically it was like Happy Monday, Stone Roses, and. Oh, you know, you go to a, a, a standard rock club, you're going to get a mixture of stuff. You go to a dance club, you're going to get dance music. It, all the it's still clubbing, isn't it? It doesn't clubbing doesn't define the genre. It, devi- it defines 
I guess the not the mentality to put it, but you know, you know, you yeah. you know what I mean. I guess, it, defi- yeah. it defines what you're doing, not what you're listening to. Yeah, but as I say, I think where I dipped in and out of dance music clubs that each time I was coming back into it, it was a different set of songs. Do you know what I mean? I would, I never yeah. went to them consistently enough that there was like a, a standout track. Uh, and normally when I go to those places, I'd request what I wanted to hear. And normally that would be uh Gwen Stefani, all back girl, <laughs> which to be fair, I probably have had more, much more chance hearing in the rock clubs. Yeah. 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 Um, now, so this one for me, I didn't struggle with, um, what, sorry, but it was, an in, it was an interesting choice for me. So question six, a track by an artist from your hometown. I, this is the hardest one because yeah. I don't think there's not an abundance of good bands or, or even notable bands that have, uh, that have broken out of, you know, what are we saying? Paul, Bournemouth, Dorset? Uh, yeah. It's, it's very I've... limited. So I yeah, don't take that as offence because I've actually used this as an opportunity to talk about your band. <laughs> uh, and I'm not just saying that because there wasn't much to choose from. I, I, genuinely... hope, you, I hope you're not going to do what I'm going to do in the next fucking episode. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see. So I've gone for El Paso de Zebra. Uh, I love Fue. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Um, because that was my personal favourite of... Uh, of that band's songs uh, I know it wasn't the the most popular one that people liked uh, to hear you guys play uh, but I liked it and it wasn't because is I that got because you on sang it. on it oh it was, no 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 I sang on it because I liked it so much I I, I actually asked to sing on it well that became a thing didn't it yeah I think but, if you were there you sang in I Love Way you know <laughs> but I think as well like for a long time uh, Al Paso de Zebra like it was you guys were like a standout band locally. Like a lot of the other bands were trying to do the pop punk thing, uh, to varying levels of, uh, success. Uh, but Zav and Fifi and Matt, obviously on drums, uh, were writing far more interesting music. And I think to be fair, they were probably more talented than a lot of us were. Um, and I think what I liked is that they weren't just trying to be, a straight up ska punk band, which would have been the obvious thing to do at that time. They had taken ska influence, but they'd fused it with just a whole load of different stuff. And you had such a unique sound. Like it was, it was very hard to, uh, to compare you to, to anyone. I know recently you were saying that it was, it was almost comparable to ordinary boys, but in some respects, but not out and out, was it? It was, no. it was more broad than that. Um, but I think also like, it would be wrong for me not to go for one of these bands from that era as well, because the whole scene that we had around the the community center in Upton was a really big deal for, for us for a while, because we'd done the, um, the, the sort of the toilet circuit club, you know, in, in Bournemouth, which was Mr. Smith's and that had been closed down. Uh, because of age restrictions and all that sort of issues that was going on at the time, uh, and then there was like a there was a gap where there weren't there wasn't really like a core venue in Bournemouth, and a lot of the promoters and stuff gave up or tried different places and didn't really work. But we really pushed for this like community center, like real kind of like DIY set up the show, bring in the amps, bring in the PA, 
and uh, and do it ourselves. And I can just remember at the time, like the guys that were the big Bournemouth promoters in that moment, just looked down their nose at it. But yeah. we were pulling 300 people paying £4 to get in a show. Whereas and they were struggling with, Yeah, and they were struggling with touring bands in rooms that were no more suitable, really, other than that they were a pub um, and served beer, which obviously the community centre didn't. Um, and they couldn't get 10 people through the door paying the ticket price. So, you know, and then from that, from those years of experience of playing to a fair-sized crowd, I think a lot of us got quite good at it. And then after those days sort of finished, we all went on and, and did um, other stuff, you know, and, and played in other bands and toured and and did that. And I, I, I just think that we really cut our teeth playing those community centre shows. I couldn't have said it better myself, to be honest. I'm feeling quite um, genuinely quite emotional with you saying that because, it, you know, <laughs> Well, no, no, like, and I'll I'll explain this in the next episode as well because I'm sure you won't have to guess too much to what I've I've got circled. And I, you know, when I first, I've, I've often when I've heard this question, I've gone, you know, do I go for someone more obscure? And in my head, I thought of oh, well, I could mention Adam Boucher um, because he's local. And then I thought, well, is there a loophole I could? go with which I'll explain I'm sure you could probably guess the loophole that you could have used but my choice is obviously well I won't say it but yeah for very 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 similar reasons mine is slightly different because mine was you know uh, um, back then before we joined forces in a band there was a bit of jealousy about um, because El Paso sort of joined the scene slightly later Um, would you agree with that than say what you were doing with um your band yeah at the it, time. it probably, probably seemed a while but it was only like the difference of oh like yeah maybe half a year but you know it, those times for me at up to community center were incredible some of the best moments of my gigging career like with you guys and just laughing and getting like why why we used to get towards a community center so so early to sound check in a in a community center but some of the funniest moments were like in that car park or me and you at the back of the venue sat on that set of steps from because let's be honest we used to rock up um ready to play and like the, the the community center the week before had been used for a pantomime, yeah. so there'd be all this like stage set up. So you'd be playing with a backdrop of some sort of like Jack and the Beanstalk, you know? <laughs> like a painted fucking yeah. <laughs> like plant that, with a giant hanging off it and stuff, and you'd be playing in front of that. But like you say, it was like it was like to three hundred kids and. Do you remember 4-0, like Tyrone, the lead singer of um, that band? Like, obviously, it was they were used to playing to, I don't know, 100 people in Swanage. They came there and he went to stage dive because he was yeah. so, like... Um, yeah, but because he was so, like, um, amazed by the response they were getting. Because, every, let's be honest, every band that played there went down well. Um, but, yeah, great times and thank you very much. I've... I've you know, that means they it was just me. it was just sheer luck, wasn't it? Really, like I, I think of just that the fact that there wasn't anywhere else really for people our age to go, and you know, I say our age and like a couple of years younger, a couple of years older, on a Friday or Saturday night in the local area. So everyone just descended on mass 
to and it did attract, this community centre. You know, fair play to um, our good friend uh, Tom McLeod. I think he was the first one to... Yeah, he kicked it off for sure. Yeah, with um, with a, a mate of his and, you know... He's never lived it down, but they uh, there were a few shows where the bands were underpaid and uh, <laughs> too much money was made. Guitars were bought and bands were paid very little. Uh, but he learned his lesson. And uh, I, I do think the money the money was put up eventually. Um, but yeah, no, it was wicked. Great times, great times. And like you say, the, the whole cutting your teeth, it was a way to like build a bit of confidence for when these touring bands came and you eventually started to support them or, you know, go off into the world and do your own tours like we did, uh, very luckily. So, yeah. Um, but like you said, there's not many Bournemouth bands that stand out, to be honest. No, I mean, like... There was air traffic. Do you remember them? The big yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlotte. Great song, but I just wasn't really a huge star, fan of the band. Which shooting star is actually yeah, yeah. a really, really good, good track. Um, Christy, my wife, still has it on her iPhone now. It, it, every time she changes phones, that goes with it. It's the only track she's got by them, but it's a wicked track. Fair play to them. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think there's. Um, because I Googled it. I was like, is there anyone I'm forgetting? Here? Yeah, so did I. <laughs> um, but yeah, if we're, cla- you know, class and Dorset, Bournemouth, Paul, whatever. But um, I'm glad we do you. Well, no, I'm not. Gl- I'm glad because you mentioned a band I was in. But um, I'm glad you didn't uh, exploit anything with it because there's, there's a band you could have possibly tried to have chosen. And I think I would have had to say, well, maybe I'll let it slide. But. I'm sh- I'll, I'll maybe I'll mention that band next time, but it's not okay. the band I've picked. Okay. Um, but that leads us nicely on to question seven, which is a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Again, there's just so many songs I could have picked for this. Like, there's just so much stuff that I listen to bands that like didn't make it. You know, didn't um, didn't last that long. Is that, that what I you're think, going that for? I think then? it's a real shame. No, no, I've gone completely different. I've gone for okay. a track by an artist that a lot of people a lot of people know the artist, but they perhaps don't know this song, and I feel like they'd really okay. like it. Because for me, this is the song that made me a fan of this uh, this artist. So cool. the track is Million Dead. Uh, sorry, <laughs> the band is Million Dead. The track is After the Rush Hour. Is that the one you've gone for? No, no, but they they were one of three, which okay. I which I narrowed it down to. Um, oh, that's really interesting. Well, let's let's. I'll, I'll, I'll listen. I'll, um, I'll go through my reasons for it, and then I'll be interested to hear why you'd shortlisted this one. Okay. So for me, obviously, people know Frank now. Right now, we're doing this uh, this weekly. Uh, supporting local venues with with Frank doing these live streams from home and it's uh donation to not not to watch the show but donation if you're watching the show and uh he's got a huge back catalog now of songs now he does occasionally play one million dead song but it's uh smiling at strangers on trains yeah he never plays after the rush hour but i actually think that there's a lot in the DNA of After the Rush Hour that is in his solo songs. Um, 
Now there was, I remember, I, it wasn't a Frank Turner cover of it, acoustic. It was a Million Dead acoustic version that was recorded uh, and was in circulation. It must have been on some sampler or like a B-side or something. I've still got it as an MP3 oh, really? uh, of him just playing it on acoustic guitar. Um, and it would it would fit perfectly in a, in a Frank Turner set, but he, he doesn't play it. I, d- I don't know why. I don't know why it's always um, the other one. It might be that perhaps he feels that someone else in the band had more of a hand in writing it. I don't know. Um, but for me, it's just like... From a personal perspective, like it's just a reminder of a really good time. Like came out in, I guess it was late 2005. We just started going to Reading Festival. We saw Million Dead at Reading Festival that year. And there's just something about After Rush Hour that just, it's kind of like the song that follows the club, you know? Like you have yeah, the big yeah. tunes for the club. And then After Rush Hour is like the the record that you put on in the car on the drive home. And maybe we well, used do, to do well, this. Do you, I don't know. But... Yeah. No, do you not remember George had that um, CD that um, his girlfriend at the time did for him? And it had, um... do you know what? I think it had mentioning that LaRue has been a guest on off the beaten track. I think it had her first single on. Um... LaRue was a bit later. LaRue was no, no, no. So no, no, I'm not saying that the, um, the soundtrack came out at the same time, but on his sound on this CD thing that I think it was Rian made for him, it had Larue Bulletproof, it had Million Dead After the Rush Hour. It, there was a whole host of songs, but I swear those two followed each other. I'm I'm sure if I asked George, and um, I do remember like him when he got rid of the white Ford Estate and he because that had a tape deck, or maybe it was that one, and he was able to play a CD. I do remember going on trips in George's estate and him putting on this track and uh, definitely remember long driving trips, listening to Million Dead after the rush hour and a whole other host of songs. I'm get, um, I'm sure there was a dashboard confessional song on there and stuff like that. But yeah, there, there, there was definitely a CD in circulation between the cars when we used to go on our like trips, which had this song on because I, I Part of me almost considered this for a track that you remember from school, but it was definitely later that we found out about it. And I was like, well, no, I remember this from hanging out with the people from school at the weekend and driving to Cornwall and driving to wherever we were going. Um, but it was definitely on a, it definitely soundtracked a summer, shall we say, rather than a school year. It was, um, it was the song for me that like kind of sealed the deal with Million Dead as well. Cause I, I it, their sound generally obviously is quite heavy and I don't think if if it weren't for the, after the rush hour I don't think I would have got into them yeah. because after the rush hour is obviously a little bit more accessible melodic yeah um, and then I loved this song so much that I gave the other ones a chance yeah um, but yeah and I think the fact that he he references Winchester in it like you know to go back to the last question the fact that there were no big bands from our hometown like you know, we didn't have somebody that was singing about where we were from, uh, but yeah. there were a lot. You know, it was kind of like romanticized in other band songs, like singing about where they were from. Whether it was Less Than Jake talking about Gainesville, or you know, the whole Bruce Springsteen like New Jersey vibe. Like Frank Turner very quickly became our Springsteen, like yeah, singing, yeah, yeah, singing, yeah. singing about the place that we knew. So yeah, talking about like as you say, like you know, drives listening to that song, like rolling, you know. Uh, between Southampton and Bournemouth and stuff, just seeing like the new forest and 
yeah, it just it, it feels like it's uh feels like it's in our veins in a in a weird way. Um and it, and I just I feel like it's a song that's just been forgotten, you know, in uh, in Frank's history. Uh I certainly wouldn't want him to play it if he doesn't feel comfortable playing it, but I think there's a lot of Frank Turner fans that wouldn't be familiar with it that they should go back and listen to it. Well, the times we've seen him and he has played Smiling at Strangers on trains. Like it goes down well even all these years later. Like people clearly there is he's obviously built up a big following um in just what he's doing now as Frank Turner. There'll be plenty of fans, especially um worldwide, who don't know that he was in a, a hardcore punk band, you know, um that toured uh, you know, the shitty venues of this of this country. Um There'll be plenty that don't know he even had long hair, you know, or, or his jeans didn't fit and he was constantly pulling them up as he skipped around the stage, you know, with his top off. There'll be people who, like, I know he started Mongol Horde now, um, but I remember that Reading Festival when Mongol Horde first played and I went to watch them just because I was interested to see Frank as a frontman again. And the two girls, when he started screaming in front of me, I remember them vividly said, I can't remember who I stood next to, but they said, what's Frank doing? Because, like, they didn't, they, they couldn't, I couldn't comprehend what it, what, what he was doing. But you know, he did have this life before, and I think that's amazingly that's that's helped his vocals and that's helped shape the man he is now. And like, you know, you wouldn't have one without the other, so to speak. Um, so thank God he was in Million Dead because I'm, would there be a Frank Turner without it? Um, but yeah, it's a shame that the one song he chooses to do is Smiling at Strangers on Trains. And maybe that's because it did have a music video, but there's other tracks that they made videos for that, you know, I guess wouldn't work as well acoustically maybe, especially Breaking the Back. Um, I'm not sure that would translate. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him play it or bring it back up into a set. And maybe he will one day. But even if he doesn't, it's there. It can be found, and it's uh, yeah. I I don't think the production was particularly good on uh, Harmony No Harmony, um, but it's it's still a good album, and the the songwriting still stands up. So yeah, you know, I think as a whole, as a playlist, that's that's a strong yeah, I'm quite seven. Of that. <laughs> I think that's a strong seven. It's funny because obviously we went off on lots of tangents and there's lots of uh, lots of storytelling in between. But yeah, bringing it back to the the songs themselves, I think they stand up against each other. I mean, obviously yeah, the, the the Spice Girls one, I couldn't actually tell you one song in particular, but I'd be happy to pick one if uh, if I had to. No, no, no. Well, well if you, so, if I gun to your head off that <laughs> oh, album, God. and I'll I'll, I'll long win. It's two become so... one. It's two become one. All right. Well, yeah, good one. Um, I don't know. I also like Say You'll Be There, actually. I was about to say that was the second single off that album. Yeah. You don't, Thanks, mate. That, I about... really enjoyed that. That was good fun. Yeah, well, like I said, um, if if you've enjoyed that, then go and check out Stu Whiffin's podcast, Off the Beaten Track, because there's so many more interesting people than us <laughs> who, have, uh, who have answered these same questions. And uh, they no, go in you. depth... You did a good job of uh, of talking us through it. Um, and thank you very much. Now it's uh, it's my turn. Uh, but we will keep you waiting for a little bit longer. So this is the end of this part. But join us again uh, soon and you'll get part two where I ask Ed uh, for his seven songs. 
So in the meantime, do, where can they gone. find you? Uh, you can find me at Liam Toms and liamtoms.com. And yourself? And I am at Run With Ed on Twitter and Instagram. And obviously you can find the Two Track Mind pod on all the social medias. Uh, and if you could do us a huge favour and either subscribe and on Apple, especially if you could leave us a rating or a view, that would be very appreciated because it just helps us get a bit more noticed. Um, and the numbers are going up. We The reason we keep doing this, not only just because we enjoy it, but you know people are listening, which is lovely. So thank you for everyone who is listening because it really, you know, to think that two lads who are currently record, recording this with a laptop um, from different postcode areas and people are still tuning in. That's awesome. So thank you. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.